Hello and welcome to the Endurance Town USA podcast, a state of mind destination where endurance athletes of all levels connect. This episode of our Faces of Endurance miniseries is brought to you by Race Slow and the upcoming Slow Ultra Trail Run and CrossFit Style Games. For more information, check them out at Slow Ultra, that's S-L-O-Ultra.com. I'm Travis Ford, producer and man behind the curtain here at the Endurance Town USA podcast. Today, our host and Race Slow founder, Samantha Pruitt, sat down with endurance power couple Ian Torrance and Emily Harrison at the Slow Ultra Trail Runs in San Luis Obispo. Ian and Emily are both well-known in the endurance world, not just for being pro athletes of their own, but also starting the company Sundog Running. Check out more information about them at sundogrunning.com. As for their stories, I'm going to pass it off to Sam now. Emily, how are you? Good, Samantha. How are you doing? Good. Welcome to San Luis Obispo. Thank you. Excited to be here. Yeah, so we've got you here for the U.S. Trail Running Conference and then the Slow Ultra Weekend. You and Ian, of course. We'll hear from him a little bit later. Um, we really wanted to have you on the show, Faces of Endurance, to learn a little bit more about you as a person. Obviously, a lot of us know you as an athlete, mm -hmm. and your bio is incredibly impressive. But we want to get to know you a little bit deeper on a personal level. So I'm going to ask you lots of personal questions. Brace yourself. No, All right. Let's do it. <laughs> I'm ready. So let's start out with sort of the basics. Tell us where you grew up okay. and a little bit about your family. Okay. Sounds good. Yeah. So I'm from Virginia. So Virginia Happy Trails Running Club was a big thing in our area. I lived in Front Royal. My parents are still there. So base of the Shenandoah Mountain, access to Skyline National Skyline Drive. So lots of cool nice. running that there. That was your backyard, That basically. was my backyard. Sweet. Yep. Grew up on 12 acres, so... I basically spent all my time out in the field or in the creek with my dog. <laughs> um, that was where I was happiest. So I am an only child and pretty small family in general. So very close with my parents and my grandparents. Yeah, very tight-knit. So. Are your grandparents still alive too? Yes. And they're all there on this farm? or No. So, well, my grandma, my Mima, I call her Mima. So, um, Mima and how they live, she's um, less than 10 miles away down a dirt road from our house. So, they're really close. And then my grandfather, he's now in Sandra. They're now down in Charlottesville, Virginia. Um, well, just outside Charlottesville proper. So, um, and I actually, too bad they didn't live there before because that's where I went to uh, college, right? University of Virginia. Exactly. I figured that was part of the connection, but yeah, it wasn't. no, okay. it just so happened that they moved from. Well, my grandfather moved from Northern Virginia to there. So you were an only child, but you were running around with your pets in the backyard, or you were yep. exploring the mountains by yourself, or yeah, mostly just out in the fields. Um, I had a Springer Spaniel at the time, who was kind of my buddy, and doing that. We always had multiple dogs, so we always had you know, more than one, but Glory, she was my buddy in terms of that. She's the one I'd take down to the creek. I got her when she was a little tiny puppy when I was, gosh, probably eight years old. Oh, and nice. uh, so, yeah, she grew up with me just going down, catching frogs, tadpoles, and all that kind of good stuff. Exploring um, the wilds. Exploring, yep. I mean, we had horses at the time, so I was just all over the place. My parents would just call for me off the back porch, like... Dinner. Yeah, dinner bell. <laughs> dinner bell, yeah. So, so were you doing athletics in grade school or mm -hmm. didn't get started until like high school level? Yeah, so I started officially in middle school. Um, before that, my mom was, she was actually the one doing trail running at the time. And, Your mom was? Mm -hmm. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. So she was starting to experiment with some ultras and 
doing Dang, that kind of back stuff. Back in the day, like cutting edge lady. Back in that, yeah, back in the day, she had a couple buddies that she go off and they would do their weekend adventures, you know, go off in the trail for hours. Mm. And I didn't really have a concept at the time of what they were doing per se. <laughs> she was just having yeah. a little, uh, a little yeah. time, a little mom time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, she was starting to do that. I remember I did a couple runs with them, started off, you know, just a little short stuff on the trails and yeah, I used to complain about it and be like, this is hard. <laughs> this, this, yeah. I didn't mean I'd do it, but I wasn't, it wasn't like, oh man, this is awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I started in middle school, went out for track. So okay. and. They, I basically just did it because my friends were doing it and okay. I wasn't peer pressure. Peer pressure. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were also, some of them were also doing some other sports, like some were going out for volleyball and basketball. And for me, I just didn't really have an interest in the ball sports. It was just, I don't know, I was like, not appealing, mm-hmm. but I wanted to do something. Mm-hmm. And so I showed up at practice the first day and then immediately they were like, first of all, this is a very small group of kids. I mean, small town, a small, very small town. Um, all through high school, we'd be lucky if we had enough people to field, you know, seven person cross country team. Oh wow! So fairly small, but anyway, we would get to practice the first day and they're like, okay, are you a sprinter or an endurance runner? I'm like, uh, endurance? <laughs> what? <laughs> is this an option? Is this an option? And then they, they're like, okay, now go run two miles around the track. And we had an asphalt track at the time. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, so did that and it was pretty dang hard, but i you were the only I, one that I ran better than everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's where the love was born. And then from there, I just stuck with it. And I think it helps I had success early. And But to a certain degree, you still have to have a love for it. Oh, I mean, absolutely. You can it have success. But discipline. yeah, I mean, if you don't have a passion for what you're doing, you're not going to last long in the sport. So you did track and cross country. So then I did yeah, track and cross country. I'd say cross country was kind of my forte mm. in general. I just... I think I enjoy just going out and pushing as hard as I could. <laughs> and there were no time barriers. I think sometimes on the track I got time stuck in my head and yeah. would kind of limit myself. But, yeah, and then during all of that, um, in my buildup, in my running career, my mom ran JFK 50. Your mom did? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And she's I, a beast. I love her. I do remember going to that. My dad crewed for her, and I remember meeting her along the canal mm-hmm. and seeing her along the way. And then afterwards, just her being toast, <laughs> she and her friend. And it was dark when they finished. And their feet were destroyed. My dad, like, laid down everything in the van, all the seats. So they just laid in the back of the car on the way home, like, passed out. <laughs> and I still remember, as one of my favorite JFK memories, um, the guy riding by on his bicycle and, like, his super superhero costume with his boombox and to this day still out there the same guy still doing it (laughs) i love it how cool that you did the race years later of course that your mom did yeah yeah Yeah. so that was cool and yeah exactly so then you graduated high school and went to college and you're obviously were still in Mm -hmm. athletics you didn't give it up no i didn't Mm -hmm. so as i was developing through high school i just i kind of kept setting my my bars a little bit higher and my goals. And I set for myself a big, that'd be awesome if I could run on scholarship at a division one university. So ultimately then when the time came around, you know, my senior year, I started getting recruiting letters and it was becoming more of a reality, which was really cool. Mm -hmm. So then you got to go through the whole recruiting process. And I ultimately, I chose university of Virginia for, I'd say a multitude of reasons. At that point in time, I think I was, putting running a little bit at the forefront. I mean, academics were really important to me. So I wanted that nice blend of 
do I connect with the coach and the program and the philosophy of the running as well as do they have a good athletic, I mean, um, academic What were you studying? I studied environmental science. Okay. So I chose UVA. I clicked really well with that coach there. Um, it was also fairly close to home. So, you know, two hours or so, reasonable enough for me to get home if I needed to, or like on holiday weekends, breaks, it'd be easy to do that. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I'm close with my family. So going somewhere on the West Coast just was a little scary for me. I just really wasn't ready to have that big gap. Yeah. So yeah, and then I studied environmental science there and I minored in conservation. So there, the uh, conservation program was actually a new thing, oh, and it was evolving, so that was really fun to kind of be a part of the first starts of that. fell in love with that. I haven't really done anything with my degree. <laughs> but, well, uh, in a way you have. I mean, it's part of your value system for the true. business you guys operate and the sports that you participate in and your lifestyle. True. Sure. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. it's all part of the being outdoors and respecting the land. So you're in college now and you're still competing in sports. You, you with yep. intention, picked a school that could, you know, help foster that. Yes. Um, so, yes, in college, I showed up and um, I really didn't have any expectations. You know, I had set the goal of getting the scholarship and getting there. And yeah. then did your coaches have expectations of you, though? I think they probably did, uh-huh. but they didn't really put a ton of pressure right away. Oh, that's good. Um, or at least I didn't feel like I was expected to perform. I'd also probably helped that I came in with some other women who were also state champions and were good athletes. And they already they had some girls on the team who were really good athletes coming oh, in. Oh, good, good. So okay. there wasn't just a spotlight on you per se. Um, you were three times state champion. Yes. Yeah. That's pretty good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you so, go into college. You've got this pretty mm-hmm. solid team. Good coaching. Yeah. Where did you Where did you go next? Um, well, With I went your... through college, and I, I think I was very fortunate along the way to have coaches who never burned me out. Mm. Um, they were always very cautious in let's have you ready for races. Let's gradually build upon each year. So I was very fortunate that I didn't have someone who just threw everything at me and got the best out of me out of one year. And then I was fried. Um, so my high school coach was great with that. And then my college coach also, I had started having success my freshman year. I kind of quickly went to number one runner and he sat me down pretty early in my career at that time and said, I'm going to build you up slowly over the years because I foresee you having a career beyond college. Nice. So that was really cool for me to, A, hear, okay, now we hear the expectations, right? Yes, he right. has He has a, a future in sight for me, um, and he was going to help me build to that. Yeah. So I thought that was really, really cool. Um, Investing in you for the long tail, not just like, let's get the most we can out of this athlete now and just go for it. Exactly. And of course, at the expense of the athlete, possibly. You know? Exactly. Yeah. So I think that was, again, I was very fortunate and grateful for that. Um, I like that. And then... What coach was that? That was Jason Dunn. Mm -hmm. So, and he, after that, he went to, he coached at Stanford for a little while. Um, I think he was in Oklahoma, but now he's actually returning. He's back in Charlottesville and he's going to be head men's coach again. So that's exciting to see him go back. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So, and then um, Mike Tanner, 
Uh, he was my high school coach, and he's still in Warren County. Wow, my, that's awesome. Yeah, still coaching there. <laughs> so I try to go back in the, some of the summers, and he puts on a high school camp in the summer just for you know the kids in town. Sometimes oh, you do? Some, mm-hmm. Yeah, sometimes he gets some neighboring runners visiting, which is fun. So I've gone back a couple of times just trying to make an appearance and oh, you that's know, awesome. give back what I can. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully it makes an impact for some of the kids. <laughs> oh, so, no, I'm sure it does. Yeah. Plus the coaches to you know see the fruits of their labor. And it, it really, it's a relationship. Exactly. Right. I mean, there's such a mutual investment. The coaches are investing in you, but you're also investing your entire, you know, all the time, all the energy, all the resources that you have to succeed under them. So that's why that relationship is so valuable. It can go terribly right or terribly wrong, of course. Well, sure. But yeah, it sounds like you've had some great experiences. And I think on my end, I mean, I believed in what they were giving me and Mm -hmm. I trusted them. And I have found over the years that for me, that is a huge um, component to my success in terms of like if I do well or if I kind of fall apart along the way, if I don't buy into what they're giving me or just their general philosophy and um, I tend not to do as well. So I think that's really important for all athletes is to at least try to understand the process and then believe in what you're doing. I think that's really important. Well, so you're a coach and you've coached me and I know you've coached hundreds of other athletes in trail running, ultras, Mm -hmm. in road running as well. Um, All running, right? No other sports. Okay. Yeah. Some triathlon, but I just focus on their running portion and I try to work around, work with their other components with their swim and bike, but Mm -hmm. I try to focus mainly on the running aspect. (laughs) How did your experience being coached by these various people Mm Uh, how does it affect your daily coaching mm-hmm. style and your value system in the coaching space? Yeah, I think I always now I really look long term for athletes and I'm big on I tend to take more of a conservative approach when I'm working with an athlete. Um, try to find that sweet spot of where they're in their optimal training zone, but it's also sustainable. Yeah, because some people will tell me up front, I'm going for it. I'm putting it all here and then. I might be shutting down for a while just because of life or whatever it may be. So sometimes, okay, we'll, we'll push boundaries a little bit more than I usually would. But for most folks, uh, especially in the ultra world and I mean, really all runners, yeah, it's kind of a lifelong thing, right? It's a lifestyle. I hope so. Yeah. Well, that's the idea. Exactly. Right? <laughs> that's the idea. So uh-huh. we wanted to be doing this till they're 80 years old or an over. I mean, exactly. you want to be doing this forever. Exactly. So for me, I think having that experience with coaches who thought that way um, really instilled that and made me believe and see that that is a possibility to do. And it's, mm-hmm. it is reality. It can be done. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's all about the relationship and, and the trust. And it's all about the relationship. Um, athletes that I hear from, more often, I definitely have a stronger relationship with, and I feel that I can help them more when they share more with me. Mm-hmm. Um, other people, you know, sometimes it's hard to kind of get a grasp on what's going on just because you don't hear from them as much. And then when it comes to race day and they want advice for how to approach the race, sometimes it's a little harder for me to <laughs> you don't know to formulate because yeah. I'm not entirely sure what's going on. And Plus, we're all so damn quirky. Who well, that's true. I mean, that's true. That's true. We all are. <laughs> Everyone has their little thing. Especially if you're trailing. In case no right one's now. noticed, most runners are type A, <laughs> A++++. plus plus plus. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> so knowing all that is helpful. Um, and just in what's going on in your life. I think people try to compartmentalize. Yeah. And it's, yeah. you know, I mean – Yes, I understand that running can be an escape from your day-to-day life, but all these other things that are going on still 
all factor into the same stress pie. Yeah, and how you um, plan their training blocks and periodize their Definitely. schedule. Really, you have to take into account mm-hmm. what do they do for a living? You know, what's the rest of their life look like? Right. Do they have a family? What are the demands exactly. of the rest of life? And what is their real availability for training? You exactly. Because a lot of us have grand ideas. Oh, yeah. I've, I've definitely fallen <laughs> sure. you know, into that trap a lot of us have. And then realistically, at the end of the day, you're like, if you don't have it, you don't have it. Yeah. But it doesn't mean you don't want to run or sure. to race even or mm-hmm. perform at a good level. Yeah. But you have to be realistic with yourself. You do. And that, yeah, and that comes with the athlete coming mm-hmm. to terms with that. Like you're saying, I mean, I can see it from my perspective sometimes. <laughs> and yeah. But I can only, first of all, I don't want to just be like, no, this is absolutely ridiculous. They just try to help them through the process and ultimately needs to be their own. Like, okay, yes, we need to yeah. maybe make some adjustments or... Yeah. This is realistically what I can do on this weekend. Instead of doing 22 miles, I can only do 15, you know. Exactly. And being honest. And being know, honest. And having that relationship. Mm-hmm. At what point out of college did you start really ramping up? Mm-hmm. I mean, at what point did you become a professional athlete? Yeah. Um, so it was a little bit of a feeling out things, I suppose, when I graduated. Mm-hmm. The original plan was I was going to graduate and stay in Charlottesville, and I was going to continue working with Coach Dunn. Okay. Um, what year was this? So this would have been 2008. Okay. Yeah, that summer. Um, so I stayed in Charlottesville that summer, and just so happens that summer, he got offered the job at Stanford, and he's like, I can't pass that up, right? Yeah. That's kind of an opportunity of a lifetime to go coach at Stanford. And they talked a little bit about, eh, I could try to move out to Stanford, but cost of living in Palo Alto is absolutely Yikes. through the roof. Yeah. <laughs> so it worked out that then the local group decided, um, kind of through the running store, and one of the gals I used to train with, she was a little bit older than me, but she was, she was a marathon trials qualifier. She was in Charlottesville. So she did, said, sure, I will coach this local team for people who want to stay and kind oh. of try that out here. Okay. So I did that for a few months. Um, I actually got recruited to come out and visit Greg McMillan. Mm-hmm. He was doing McMillan mm-hmm. Elite at the time yep. in Flagstaff, cool, Arizona. And I deferred, or I said no. I politely said no, thank you. Not yet. I'm going to stay in, in Charlottesville and give this a try. And ultimately, it wasn't quite working out for me. Um, I was having some injury stuff going on, which probably didn't help anything, but also. Just getting up at 4 a.m., 5 a.m. to Because we have people on our team who need to be at work by right. certain times, so yeah. we need to start pretty early, Yeah, which I understand. They weren't all professional runners. No. Yeah. I mean, I understand that. And I was working at the running store, but, you know, my hours were – they were accommodating, so they were working with me, like, afternoon hours type thing. Um, so, anyway, it just wasn't clicking for me, and it was just really – didn't – yeah. And so I was like, okay, I'll go visit Flagstaff. So I did. And I was over the winter. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't in really too snow, long. In the, the snow. snow. Yeah, literally. It was one of the heaviest snow seasons they probably had. There was just several feet of snow on the ground. I'm like, well, I don't really know what Flagstaff looks like. But exactly. <laughs> we'll and see. are we going to run in the snow yeah. like this very often? What yeah. the hell? I thought it was in Arizona. Yeah, yeah I know. Right? Yeah, that was actually so really. What is it, 6,000 feet? Yeah, 7,000. 7, mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a crazy drive, driving up from Phoenix in the middle of the desert. Because I had never been Did you out even to know anyone? Area. You'd met Greg. I hadn't met Greg. You hadn't even met him yet. No. Oh, I just wow. just talked to him, I think, on the phone. Okay. So you were just going there I solo. just went, yeah. And so I went. I checked it out. 
never been to Arizona. So that drive from Phoenix up to Flagstaff, if anyone has ever done that, kind of mind-blowing. You All of a sudden, you're in like cactus and desert, and there's red rocks. You can see sort of Sedona, and then you're in snow. I'm like, yeah. what's going on? So beautiful. <laughs> this is crazy. Mm-hmm. So I, I got a really good vibe, and it was exciting. Um, and I was like, yeah, I'm going to take the opportunity. Cool. So, and that was Also, you were going to be on a professional running team. Yes. So you knew that not mm-hmm. only your needs were going to be met, but yeah. to be in that team environment, right, with definitely. like-minded athletes who are all, mm-hmm. all in, all yeah, in, definitely. That had to be exciting. Yeah, so that was cool. Um, so did that, and you know, definitely had some highs and lows there. I mean, I ran my marathon PR, had a good summer, um, but it was a, to be honest, it was a very bumpy road <laughs> up to that point. Um, I moved out there. I ended up having a stress reaction in my shin. When I moved there, so it was already kind of not off that. to a great start. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it just really took me a while to get my leg, to just get my bearings again. Um, and body was just doing weird things. I really wasn't training, but my body was just doing all these weird things, and I couldn't figure it out. So I had to work through quite a bit of issues. <laughs> and so I have a question about that. Yeah. Um, all runners, well, all athletes, doesn't matter mm-hmm. what the sport and all of that the mental and emotional side of training and dealing with all the highs and the lows. Yes. That had to be a huge learning time for you because you were getting these constant challenges. Mm-hmm. How did you cope with that? You were how yeah. old at this point? You're early twenties. Yeah. I mean, this was 2009 and, um, when I officially moved there and that was probably into 2010, I was still trying to figure things out and mm-hmm. really get going yeah, that's always been, I, I've been pretty determined and I think that determined, but yet patient. I don't know. It's, it's kind of a fine balance. I remember back in high school, one of my coaches, um, not coach Tanner, but I think it was like freshman year, I had a hip that was really bothering me and I was still running all right, but I mean, it wasn't like I was struggling a little bit mm-hmm. and I think the coach was, went to my mom and dad and they're like, this, this might be all we've seen of her. Mm-hmm. And of course I heard about it. I mean, and my parents like, tell me, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah. you know, and I'm like, what? This you is wanted ridiculous. to see how you were going to handle this yeah. challenge. It's like, this is mm-hmm. ridiculous. So obviously we figured it out and I kept going and it was all okay. So, but I think it was definitely an even lower point. In when I came to Flagstaff, okay. I remember lots of crying. Mm-hmm. Of course, I was away from my family. Wait, you're human? I am what? human. I am definitely human. Yep. <laughs> oh, I've been, oh man, high school, I was classic for the meltdowns after bad races. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love it. I would just be bawling and I'm like, ah. I think just the disappointment. And I felt bad because my parents would always, my family would come, my Mima and Howe would come. They'd all make the trip and I'd like have a bad performance. And then, especially when you like travel to North Carolina from Virginia for like, footlocker or something and you don't have the race you know you can have and you're just like yeah I feel bad disappointing them disappointing myself anyway so but, but you came to terms with that and yeah. you kept going mm-hmm. right yeah. so a lot of people have these experiences yeah. and I'm not just talking about in athletics that's yeah. you know in life it happens more often <laughs> yeah. in athletics because you're pushing the mm-hmm. ele- the envelope you're challenging yourself yeah. in a completely different way yeah. so shit the wheels are going to fall off the bus like yeah. a lot if you're willing to go there mm-hmm. and like walk the edge That's you know? true. yeah but you kept bouncing back yeah and so i think just learned it's okay to have the pity party 
to break down, have that meltdown. You don't have to be, you know, super tough all the time. Like Mm -hmm. you can just let it go and then just kind of regroup. And, um, you know, depending on what the situation was, it was definitely like, okay, regroup, maybe take a little break. Like, you know, sometimes for me, like sometimes those things would happen towards the end of a season. So I was ready for a break anyway, just Mm kind of just mentally decompress, like, yeah, just, okay. And start over. (laughs) Um, is and that what you did in flag? Did you decide to like take a break and walk away or did you, how'd you, no, how'd you get this breathing room that you needed? Yeah. I just kept working through it. I think it was hard for me because I was away from my family and I mm. didn't really, I'm, I'm kind of a loner by nature. Um, I don't really like buddy up with a lot of people, um, per se. So, I mean, I did it to myself in flag. I just, I mean, I was kind of just doing my own thing, even okay. though I was on the team and I'm happy that way. But at the same time, I always, I still turn to my parents or like now Ian, like those are my go-to people. Mm-hmm. So I was just on the phone a lot with my parents and just like letting it out. Sure. Perfect. <laughs> um, that's how I, I coped with that. And, um, sort of the same thing, you know, I was trying to work with a sports psychologist just to try to get my head in a better space and, I remember one time he made a comment to me about, he's like, well, I don't know if you're going to, or like, he's like, I don't know if you're going to bounce back from this or I don't remember. It was something along the lines of just like, wow. He poked you with a stick. (laughs) Yeah. And it certainly took some time after I always remembered that. And I was like, I'm just, I mean, I'm going to keep working through this no matter what you say. Like, you're not going to discourage me from continuing. And Mm -hmm. I mean, Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm at a very, very low point right now. I'm not going to argue that, but I mean. It's not the end of the road. and Maybe it was prompted on purpose. It could have been, you, you know? know. It very well could have been. Uh-huh. Um, Let's see how so, dig, how yeah. low, you know, how hard yeah. she can dig in and uh, exactly. how resilient she can become yeah. during mm-hmm. this process. Yeah. Which ultimately and, makes you a better athlete, as you know, so. right? Yeah. And yeah, if you don't suffer at all, how the hell when, how when things yeah. are happening out yeah. there and you're in a race? If you don't suffer during training how do you and know? then you show up at a race and it doesn't go well during mm-hmm. the event. Yeah. You have to be able to You don't know how that. to cope with it. That's yeah, right. You don't exactly. have the skills. Yeah. So, I mean, I figured out some, with some help of uh, my massage therapist at the time, helped some dietary, cleaned up some, um, went gluten-free. Mm-hmm. And because I just had so much, she'd work on me and she's like, the inflammation is just through the roof. Like, it's, it's not normal training inflammation. Something's going on. Mm. So, cut out gluten and my body actually responded very quickly. Um do you have an autoimmune or was it just that you've got um, sensitivities and it I was think, enough, enough to cause that yeah. inflammation? Sensitivities. Okay. And, you know, I've been working through some of that stuff still. Um, like just, you know, this past couple of years or so got actually real allergy testing done. Okay. And I have a lot of seasonal allergy stuff going on, but I mean, I also do have some legit food allergies. Gluten doesn't show up, but I've also been off of it for so long and yeah. I know I do better off of it. So, mm-hmm. and of course I fell off that bandwagon when she had me do that and I felt... It's like, it's, this is one of those dumb things. Like (laughs) I feel amazing. I feel so much better. Things are turning around. My body is like functioning like it should be again. So then why do I fall off the bandwagon mm-hmm. and start why? getting gluten Because you're again? human. Yeah, right? Because you're I mean, human. Yeah, totally. and, then, and then I started feeling like crap again. Yeah, been there a thousand times, <laughs> like, totally. Oh, and you know, people were like, people were like, my mom's like, why? Why are you doing that to yourself? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> so finally got that through my head and... um 
Yeah. <laughs> so now you're still so, gluten-free. So still okay. gluten-free. You know, if it pops in there every now and then, I don't have some major flare-ups, but I definitely seem to do better just avoiding it. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. And then yeah. our bodies change, as you know, too. Yeah. So then you're 20. I don't have a clue yeah. how old you are now. And you don't have to tell everybody okay. how old you are. But, you know, like yeah. over the evolution of mm-hmm. our bodies and being an athlete and challenging yourself, yes. moving into different environments, all that kind of stuff, life happens and so your training has to adapt too you know with the lifestyle changes exactly yep um you know i think that's a very good point you raise is that even for just marathoners and Mm -hmm. below it's been shown that you know gi health is kind of highly compromised at times by hard training so there definitely could be that component combined with i know that for me that stuff started early i mean in high school beef I would just double over in pain like can't do it mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I finally when I actually had real allergy testing I was like oh well I'm actually allergic to it <laughs> Whoa, yeah. so you know yeah. um so I think for me it's a little bit of uh you know my parents they both had their sensitivities and so some genetic stuff there and then like you said just training over time the stress um I think all that is a factor hormones for sure change. hormones in change. men and women mm-hmm. yeah hormones change um training at altitude mm-hmm. you know I had to you know, like, oh, yeah, we're at altitude, so you have to train a little bit differently than you would at sea level. Mm-hmm. So different things like that to consider. Um, I think for me, you know, some of the seasonal allergies, I didn't really have any allergy problems in Virginia, which is usually a hotbed for people for allergies. But I think for me, just moving to a drier climate, probably just the sinuses and everything for me was a trigger, which I didn't figure out for a long time that that was going on. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it's <laughs> but all then those it, little nuances. Yeah. And then when you're asking your body to perform at a mm-hmm. high level, yeah, you know, he starts to show up. <laughs> yeah, so, so you were being coached by McMillan, yes, by Greg, and on that team, mm-hmm. and you had a lot of success. So you obviously yeah. worked through some pretty major challenges physically, mm-hmm. um, and mentally and emotionally, and, oh, and bounced back even stronger. Yeah, definitely. I what mean, do you think was the catalyst for that? I don't know. I was just determined to keep working through it. <laughs> yeah, I was just stubborn. Uh-huh. So <laughs> just kept putting in the work, and well, I kept. I also was trying to figure out, like I said being very diligent, but trying to figure out maybe what was going on with my body. I mean, mm-hmm. the gluten-free thing, I didn't even know that existed. And I was like, what are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> when, when Monica told me that, I was like, what? Um, worked with a naturopath for a little while, trying to kind of figure out some of those little nuances. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think it was, once I figured that out, then it really was just the slow process of being patient and letting the training take hold again. Mm. And that is hard, especially mm. when you're on a team where everyone's performing around yeah. you, um, expectations are pretty high. You have sponsors who want to see those performances. Um, that's why you're there. <laughs> so, but yet yeah, being patient and trying not to just force anything, and because that's frustrating too, right? When you jump back oh, on the horse yeah. way before you're ready, and you get your butt kicked, and you're like, "Well, that just puts you Sucks. down again." <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not a good feeling. So, um, yeah, I just had to be really patient and. It was interesting because I, the summer going into um, my marathon PR, I had done a really good marathon buildup earlier that year. I had to pull from the race partway through because my hamstrings were blowing out on me for some reason. But anyway, so I had a good base, but then I started doing some more mountain running, a little oh. bit more than I usually do. Mm-hmm. I joined Ian and a couple of the guys on a couple mountain runs. and This is still in Flagstaff. This is still in Flagstaff, mm-hmm. and I think it kind of was a nice balance for me. Because I tend to be a little bit of a strength runner. So oh, I think mm-hmm. I hit a nail on the head there where I was like, 
I'm doing the speed on the roads and I've got that, but then going and doing three hours in the mountain, climbing yeah. and descending. With all the variety of footsteps with, required to get up that mountain and down the other side. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a whole that's new range of motion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, I think that's that kind of sparked some things for me. And then... Kind um, of brought you back to your roots. It did. It really did. And so many trails and flags that we didn't really run on too much as being a road-oriented and track-oriented team. Mm-hmm. We did some of the lower trails, but... Well, you so, made it, uh, was it two or three times on the, uh, the Olympic trials for marathon? Um, two so far, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, so far. So Hopefully you're going to try to get another one. <laughs> well, at what point did Cold you fire. transition into trail running then? Because yeah. you were all road focused and mm-hmm. this was your like first taste, this little bit in flag? Yeah, like, hey, it's a little bit of thing? flag other than what I had done with my mom like way back Oh yeah, when mm-hmm. I was younger. But um, yeah, so the next year, I don't remember exactly what was going on with the team we had to move out of our house. I basically, we were scrambling to get together, to, like, to pull together a place to live. And was the whole team living together? We lived, we had like two or three houses, depending. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a couple of people were married. Well, people were starting to get married at that time, or they had fiancés. So a couple of people were starting to branch out and getting their own places. But we definitely had at least two or three team houses at a time, mm-hmm. uh, which was nice. Yeah, was that's cool. cool. Yeah, we were also in a good neighborhood, which is fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but we needed to move out of the house, and we basically just didn't have anywhere to go. And we were trying to scramble and find something. And for me, that was a little bit of a catalyst to just kind of up and go back home. Really? <laughs> to Virginia. Oh, like for a break or for just, like, I'm yeah. out of here, I'm going to just go reset? Yeah, I think a little bit of all of it. I just was like, okay, yeah, I just, I'm like, I kind of put break. in that position where... You know, what do I do? And it's like, you know what? I'm just going to go back to Virginia and figure this out. Okay. And I did. And then I ultimately ended up parting ways with the team during that time period. Mm-hmm. Um, and shortly thereafter, the team dissolved anyway. Okay. So it kind of worked out mm-hmm. um, for everybody <laughs> all around. And then I decided I was going to train for JFK, which was hmm, eight weeks away. <laughs> Maybe. Oh, let's just ramp up to a 50-miler. Yeah, yeah. Hey, this sounds good. Yeah. So I had, I think I ran it by Ian, and he built me a training plan. Okay. So we hit it hard for, like, eight weeks, mm-hmm. eight to ten weeks. I feel like it was more like eight weeks. <laughs> and <laughs> Crash course. fortunately enough, I mean, that was a good... Had you ever done an ultra yet? No. Oh, hell. No. Okay. <laughs> I had done a marathon. Was okay. Road marathons. Mm-hmm. So... Um, fortunately we live where my parents are and I was just living at home with my parents for those few months. Yeah, that's I awesome. just bunked up with them. It's like, I'm figuring out my life again. And <laughs> one of those Perfect. things. Um, and luckily I could just go up to the CNO canal and to the Appalachian trail and mm. do some training on those sections. Fantastic. Um, mostly on the canals where I just, I'd go up and do long runs. And mm-hmm. so that was my foray into the ultra world. So and what year was that? Your first, um, 2012, JFK 50, 2012. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And I rolled up and I was like, yeah, Ellie Greenwood's here. I'm like, who's Ellie oh. Greenwood? <laughs> she fast? It's like, yeah. well, she's doing like a 242 marathon or something. Oh. Like, she's legit. But I don't know. I'm like, huh? <laughs> let's go so for it. Let's see go what for I it. Yeah. Ultimately, her experience, and she's obviously a badass, and it helps if you eat along the way. Oh, there's that. Yeah. <laughs> there's that Ultra component. Ultra fueling is completely yeah. different. Than I was carrying a to. bottle, but I was probably, I mean, I was hardly taking in. Too, I wasn't taking very many calories. Oh, okay. And mm-hmm. I think that got me a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I rallied, but not enough. <laughs> 
So, um, yeah, it's amazing what that gel do for you at mile 30 when you're bonking hardcore. <laughs> oh, totally, totally. But you finished the race, obviously. Mm -hmm. And did you, when you finished, was it like, that was hideous, I don't know what I was thinking, I'm out of here? Or did you say, that was the best thing ever, ultras, I'm all in, like, let's go? Um, I was like, that was freaking hard. It was. Okay. <laughs> that opened up a whole new door of Suck hurt. Yeah. 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 The pain cave was uh, like brand, uh, a whole new level. It was definitely at a whole new level. And I was like, wow, that I could run through some pain that I didn't know and bonking and not feeling good for a long time, which wow, was really isn't interesting. Isn't that freaking the best thing ever, yeah. right? Like what you learned about yourself that day, a huevos, like let's just yeah. toe, toe the line and <laughs> see how it's going to go. Yeah. Right. So that alone tells yeah. me a lot about who you are, <laughs> but then going through the process, everything you learned that day, and how mm -hmm. you processed it later yeah. in terms of learnings and all of that. Yeah. What was your biggest takeaway? Um, need to eat. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think for me, the fueling has been my biggest challenge in the ultras for sure. Well, that was the physical thing. That what was the did physical. you take mentally, away mentally and emotionally? Yeah, mentally that like, okay, I like... This requires toughness. Well, you <laughs> should have said I have toughness. Well, I was going to say I have it? toughness, but yeah. <laughs> there are times I'm like, okay. I don't have, I'm not tough. <laughs> yes, you are. And I think you definitely, that you could have dropped. You could have been oh, like, you know yeah. what? First race out of the yeah. gate. Like, we're good here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You could have dropped. Could have dropped. And it was kind of fun because my me and my parents actually both had to work like my biggest supporters who come to every yeah, race they had to work leaders. and but luckily Mima, who always is also another huge supporter <laughs> she came and she crewed for me but oh it was also gosh, so even cool. more frightening for her because she's like <laughs> doesn't want to mess anything up but she's also like she's never crewed an ultra uh -huh. and yeah and, so, the yeah and she's like oh my gosh but it all worked out great and then um Funny enough, one of my college teammates was there on the sidelines. His brother was running the race, yeah. but he saw me when I was having that rough patch, and he's like, do you need a gel? I'm like, yes, yes. <laughs> please. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of cool to see familiar faces along the way. But, you know, I think it definitely opened up a door of, yeah, I am tough, and this requires a lot more. However, I still had a lot to learn in that aspect. Yeah, um, yeah. And that was exciting. That was exciting, yeah. but I didn't. I still didn't know, though. Mm -hmm. So I still didn't know. I think because even though I had those rough patches, the race still went pretty well, mm -hmm. like relatively speaking. Fast forward, I mean, that got me at the time. That was a Montreal Cup race for Western, so I got a spot at Western States, okay. which I didn't even think about before. I wasn't even really aware of. Mm -hmm. Everyone's like, "Are you going to take your Western State spot?" And I'm like, "What?" Do the what? And what? That's a hundred miles. miles. I mean, hello, what? I yeah. just did fifty. Huh? Leave me alone. <laughs> like next summer, and Ian was like, "You should take the spot." So I did, and I think Western States for me that next summer really opened the doors of what true suffering is and yeah. what the body can take. Yeah. So and JFK was the tip of the iceberg, and then Western was like the whole eye opener of like, holy crap. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so. But you accepted the challenge. I did, and you know, but I have to give a lot of credit to Ian because partway through, once he picked me up and started pacing me, I mean, my quads blew super early. So mm -hmm. I was like, there's absolutely no way I can, I mean, I can't even run. You want me to finish the race like this? Like, are you insane? Mm -hmm. That's That was the mental, like, the talk in there. Of, there's no way. Mm -hmm. and he's like, yeah, you can you can keep going. You're fine. Mm -hmm. Like, what are you Just talking about, you crazy person? <laughs> so luckily him having me <laughs> behind and... And that really, and then getting to the finish line, I was like, oh, wow, okay. That's even more of an eye-opener. Oh yeah, of what it you did. thought was possible. It did. Mm -hmm. so. But now I, I think that sometimes 
I still battle with those mental demons out there in terms of, I feel like I have more experience in ultras now and I, for some reason in my head, I feel like I shouldn't have those major suffer fests, but yet they still happen. And <laughs> so for me, it's a mental thing That's of like, so okay, you are human. well, <laughs> so well, for men mentally then it's like, well, then I get frustrated because I'm like, well, this is frustrating. Uh -huh. I should just, I'm going to stop. And so for me, it's about battling that and mm -hmm. saying, no, I'm here to finish this. And no matter how terrible it may or may not be, mm -hmm. the point is to get to that finish line, unless something is obviously very wrong, which yeah, usually, right, I mean, which can happen. usually it's, I'm not in a life or death situation in those You're cases. Just off I'm miserable. just, yeah, it's just life sucks at the moment. <laughs> but you think also that, like, there are way worse things that could be going on right now. So <laughs> perspective, yeah. right? Yeah. And then the gift of just being able to run mm -hmm. and be out there. Yeah. And sometimes even though it's so freaking miserable. Yeah. Like you still have this layer of gratitude that yeah. maybe is buried 12 deep. But like, sure. you know, if you can get connected to that, that says, well, at least I'm out here mm -hmm. doing this right now. Yeah. And, you know, in the rest of the world, there's a lot of other things going there's, down. Yeah. There's mm -hmm. a lot of, so there are worse things that could be happening. And, you know, yeah, you have to dig through the negative and find what is going right or what's good about yeah, the situation. and really bring that out, um, which can be hard at times. Sure. You get in your own little turmoil inside your head in this vicious cycle. So you really have to break out of that. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you've had this really solid and are still having this really solid career as an athlete. I want to know, um, from your perspective of being a, a professional athlete, mm -hmm. like, are there some key relationships or influencers that have helped your path be more successful or have been like a real mm -hmm partner in this process probably humans my, or yeah probably my family and then Ian mm -hmm. and <laughs> so, the dogs and the dogs mm -hmm. <laughs> how do you do with your brand partners is there anybody that's a real alignment for you that's made sense um I mean well Squirrels Nut Butters and Flagstaff so that makes oh, nice. sense and that's cool. you know he's awesome um Chris and Stacy are just cool people and um, they help they support Stagecoach which is awesome and come work in aid station so they're really cool. Um, Nathan, originally Brent Hollowell's not there at Nathan anymore, but he actually came to my first Western States and he like kind of, and he helped crew. And Sweet. so, but he actually got to see how the pack was working in real time and some things that like, okay, this isn't working very well yeah, in terms of, yeah. So um, that was kind of a cool thing early on to invest in yeah. your success. Yeah. So that was kind of fun. Um, you know, early on, Adidas and it started the Addy Ultra team, and mm. they're the ones who were with me through that whole start into the ultras. And at else. what point did you determine that you wanted to add to this business by becoming a coach yourself and coaching mm -hmm. others? Um, yeah, this started opportunity arose. It was again, everything just kind of falls into place. I was so this was after uh, JFK, my first JFK in 2012. I was still in Virginia. And Ian was super, super swamped. He was coaching for McMillan as the ultra coach and doing the online coaching then. Um, he was getting pretty busy, so he wanted to bring out some help. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and he just he called me and asked if it would be something I was interested in doing. And I was like, um, sure. Mm -hmm. <laughs> let's, let's talk about it. And so I came on board, and Ian mentored me. Um, and, of course, I mean, I had trained under Greg, so I knew Greg's philosophy mm -hmm. very well. Um, I liked his philosophy, obviously, and it fit well with my previous training experiences. Um, and so Ian was was taking 
that general philosophy and combined with his own experiences with ultra running and had designed an awesome coaching program. People were having success and that was exciting. So he mentored me and yeah, and I just, I started working with people and it's been a learning process, which mm-hmm. is certainly along the way. And mm-hmm. um, for me personally, my biggest thing with coaching is was gaining the confidence to impart the knowledge to people or to yeah. say, oh, I think, you, you know, like you should steer in this direction as opposed to this direction, but yet being flexible and trying to, you know, work with each individual. So I want everything to be individualized, geared towards their needs, what they like, their style, while still, you know, with my philosophy and our philosophy. Sure. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> and that just comes in time and practice. And then everybody mm-hmm. you deal with is a unique human. Oh, definitely. So, yeah. you know, you're going to have yeah. different relationships with everybody. Mm-hmm. And definitely, yeah, learning how to approach different topics with people, um, yeah, you know, it's a, it's it's been fun though. I mean, it definitely keeps me challenged, and I think that's good to work with a variety of athletes, not just in what they're training for, whether it be a couch to five k runner or someone who's an experienced hundred miler. Um, but the personalities, you yeah, know, that's really important. Is just, I think that's great to have all these different personalities, and you know, some people you just you may not ultimately mesh with, and that's okay. And yeah. I had to learn to accept that too. And I still struggle with that sometimes. It's like, man, it's really frustrating that I couldn't help that person. But at the end of the day, I mean, it's probably better just because we couldn't meet in the middle and we couldn't mesh. Um, so that does happen. And so it's frustrating. So I'm like, oh, I want to help them. Yeah. Everybody's <laughs> but, on their own journey at the same time. Yeah. But you guys so, must love it enough because now you've launched Sundog Running. Yes. So tell mm-hmm. us what, yeah. why Sundog? Why is it called Sundog? <laughs> what are you doing now? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we launched Sundog Running, Ian and I did. Um, we just brought on Eric Sensman as well because cool. we were busy, so we brought on a third coach. And Sundog, we brainstormed a lot on the on the names, and Ian actually came up with that one. Um, but Sundog is a phenomenon. Mm-hmm. But basically we're going towards behind Sundog is we're all together in this. Cool. You know, we all support each other. So mm-hmm. it's, you know, yeah. That's, I mean, it's that's, more of a that's team. the base it of it. It feels like it's got yeah. that vibe to it, yeah. you know? It's not just and, a coaching platform. And it's really exciting, I think, because we've both worked with some athletes for a few years now or longer, and you get to really know them as people, and, you know, it goes beyond just a coach and athlete relationship and your friends, um, but it's really cool to see the athletes support each other. Yeah. So yeah. we try to keep things, like, keep adventures that people do or successes um out onto the social media because they actually they love seeing that you know and you know it's like someone congratulates somebody else and says oh my gosh that's so amazing you did that and I think it's inspire nice. each other yeah right so it's not just coming from the coaches down exactly mm-hmm. and I think it's really cool to have that community aspect um and it's great because a lot of these people have met each other at races um you know I had three people running trans Rockies and it's kind of cool to get the email like, Oh, I just met so-and-so. They're so nice. It was so awesome. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so that's fun. It's like that. family. It is. It really is. So then what's next for you personally as an athlete? I know you're busy coaching, but yep. you're still <laughs> doing a lot of training and racing yourself. What's next for you? Yeah. Um, still training and racing. I was going to try to go for a road marathon this summer, but life happened. Mm-hmm. Life does happen. Still. <laughs> totally. Um, so that got pushed aside, but I have the 100K World Championships coming up here in a couple weekends. Oh, okay. But then and probably JFK. I'm planning, hopefully, to be there again. 
But then it's like going to become your legacy race. Huh? I know. Right? Right? Well, just do it until you're 100. You blame Ian on that because he's <laughs> the one who's been doing it every year since he first did JFK as his first ultra. So, cool. <laughs> um, Plus, it's a good excuse to go see family when we go back. It's kind mm. of all-in-one mm-hmm. fun trip. Um, but, yeah, then hopefully you get back to the roads again, too. Go for yeah. that road marathon. Okay. Olympic trials qualifier. Okay. be nice. So, awesome. Yeah. And you're feeling good? Feeling pretty good. You yeah. guys are like serious wonderlust. You do a lot of traveling. So how are you, you fitting do. your tra- training in? Is it, is it mm-hmm. working for you even though you're on the road a lot? For the most part, yeah. Okay. We, hit, we hit some roadblocks along the way on our trip sometimes where we think something's going to be this great running location. We scout it, you know, we like do research and like, okay, we're going to go here. And then you get there and like, this is not what, you had what we had in mind. <laughs> so some runs don't always go according to plan because of that. And then, you know, traveling with the dogs, um, if it's hot, sometimes we have to be strategic with that. But, you know, we always try to make time for our runs as part of our travels. Mm-hmm. That's important to both of us and just for well-being in general and mental health, too, to get out and go for a run is nice. Oh, totally. So, yep, we always try to coordinate that. Um, you know, we do a lot of camping along the way, depending on where we're going. Sometimes it's hotels. Sometimes we do you know, vacation rentals. So all depends. But, yeah. You just <laughs> built a lifestyle around running. I love it. We do, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's great. But. Well, I think we're going to go ahead and wrap it up. Okay. We are um, here at the U.S. Trail Running Conference Yay. in the Slow Ultra. <laughs> so we'll be seeing you over the next couple of days, Definitely. enjoying some time with you guys. And hopefully you'll be enjoying Race Slow Town. We'd yes. love to have you here. Thanks, Thanks for, for your time and all your energy, your insight into getting to know you a little bit better. Yeah, thank you. And uh, we'll be in touch. Seeing you guys soon. Yeah, definitely. Right. Take Thanks, care. Samantha. All right. Cool. Ian, welcome to San Luis Obispo. Stoked to have you here for uh, the Slow Ultra and the U.S. Trail Running Conference. And we are interviewing you for our next mini-series, which is called The Faces of Endurance. So we'd like to hear from you in terms of yourself being an athlete. You've got quite a uh, resume behind you, and you're a coach as well and a race director, so you've got a lot of different things going on. And I'd like to hear a little bit about where you were raised, what your family's like. Um, Where did you come from? Yeah, sure. Uh, I was born in D.C., Washington, D.C., and uh, grew up um, in Maryland, um, on the outskirts of D.C., Gaithersburg, Maryland. I went to school there all the way through high school there, and then went to college in northwestern Pennsylvania, Meadville, okay. Pennsylvania, Allegheny College, kind of between Pittsburgh and Erie, most in Ohio. Um, Almost in Ohio. <laughs> yeah, just, I mean, we could skip across the line if we needed to. Oh. But, um, yeah, my... My parents met in upstate New York, which is where they are now presently. My dad worked for a number of years at the National Institutes of Health in Bethesda, Maryland. That's why we were in that area. My mom was a teacher. And roundabout ways, they are, they separated and divorced. And they're still divorced, but they're living together. Uh-huh. Life Again. is interesting yeah. like that sometimes. Yeah. So, yeah, and they're in upstate New York, uh, Elmire Corning area. But yeah, my my whole life grew up in Maryland, went to school in Pennsylvania, and went west after graduating college, pretty much. And I've been out west ever since. Never looked back to the East Coast. 
Well, when you were there and growing up, did you play sports or how did you get so fit and athletic? Did oh, that happen later in life? Yeah, I ended up on the cross country team in middle school. Oh, in, middle school already? Yeah, seventh, okay. seventh grade. Yeah, started running at that time just to do something. It was, wasn't very good at it. Um, last place in a lot of meets, mm. bringing up the rear. But I steadily saw improvement, you know, as I grew and you didn't give up apparently no didn't give up <laughs> yeah there was some very trying times but you know in in when I was in in seventh and eighth grade that was junior high they you know we practice was we'd like play lacrosse the the coach would bring out lacrosse sticks and we'd run around with lacrosse for a little bit that was wait um, that was practice for cross country mm -hmm. oh yeah. interesting yeah it was okay. a very uh they believed in cross training yeah, apparently. I, yeah I think he had other <laughs> other things to do and he just didn't want us That's running around in high school same kind of deal i i never was the uh top runner um but uh i was able to um excel in other ways i i was the coach or coach uh the uh, captain for our senior cross-country team and also indoor and track teams so um, I kind of filled that role a little easier, um, but I still every year saw improvement and uh, decided that that was one of the stipulations to where I would go to school is how strict or would they allow someone like me to run on their cross country and track teams and that was one of the reasons I ended up at Allegheny is because I was able to actually the I think it was a cross-country coach, uh, you know, saw me, you know, we went for a visit and he saw me and he's like, oh yeah, we totally, as long as you try hard, you can be on our team. And so that kind of, that helped seal the deal for Ali and that and it was a small school and liberal arts college and a cool spot and far enough away from home that it was away from home, but close enough if I needed to get back, I could. So, um, did you have siblings? Yeah, I got a sister mm -hmm. and she... She went to Pitt. Um, she's two years younger than I am. She went to Pitt. So for a couple of years, we were actually 90 minutes apart-ish. Mm -hmm. And so we saw each other a couple of times. It made it easy for the parents when they wanted to do a swing through to visit their kids <laughs> while they were at school. And she is married now, has two kids, and runs her own personal training gym. Oh, in, she's also into fitness. Yeah, just outside of Placerville. Yeah. I love it. So you went from let me try running in junior high, right, and mm -hmm. get on the cross country team, and then all the way through high school. Yep. And, and then, even though you weren't like dominating the field and crushing things, you just were resilient as hell and kept going. Yeah. I mean, I there was no scholarship or anything like that involved. Just going. I I wanted to keep running because I liked how it was going and. Well, that's what I'm curious about. Yeah. I liked yeah. how it was going. What does that mean? Because you really determined that, like your life's trajectory, literally, you picked a college where you could continue to run. So you knew there was something about running that was going to, you know, fulfill another deeper part of yeah, your purpose? I, or? Yeah, I enjoyed it. I like the camaraderie. So even in high school, I just hung out with the runners mm -hmm. and uh, kind of made it easy to fit into a group. And then in college, it was the same way there there was I was able to create a circle of friendship that way um, and I, 
also needed the challenge. I like the structure of running. Um, it kind of, if you if you set up your day around it, <laughs> schedule your day around it, then um, I think you're. The more world is good after that. Yeah, it's good after that, and you're just more productive. Mm-hmm. I think. Um, and um, yeah, and, and in and in uh, college, I it did the same thing. So I kept excelling each year. Was I kept getting a little better, a little better, a little better. And um, like in in high school, I ran my fastest mile, my last college or my last high school race. And then in, in college, I ran my fastest 10k, my last college race. So it was kind of I did it the right way. Yeah, you know, like yeah. chipping away at yeah setting and, new goals obviously and, and uh, i was lucky because in high school i could run year-round we had cross country and we had an indoor and outdoor track season oh, wow so you know we go to dc armory or go to colleges in baltimore to, to run indoors we had all those facilities really close and it was really nice to do that hated running indoor track because mm. you always get the indoor track lung oh that's a thing yeah oh <laughs> it's awful yeah wow, okay. anyone who's run indoor track will Ooh. tell you that you're just running in this musty gym, basically, oh, right. mm-hmm. this glorified gym. But uh, it was cool to, to do that. You know, I did the same thing in college. We we ran year-round, basically. Never really, we had kind of slow months, but we never really stopped. Cross, my cross-country coach in college was a different coach than my indoor and outdoor track coach. So there was a kind of a switch in philosophy and a switch in coaches. and but uh, you were expected to stay fit and to continue to train even when maybe the season wasn't in swing. So Mm -hmm. that was kind of good and it got me off the couch anyway. And again, like I said, helped structure the day. But after doing that for essentially eight years straight, running and racing and training for that long, I I did need a break. And so when I graduated, I decided to get, even before I had a job, two days after I graduated, college I got on the Appalachian Trail in Harpers Ferry so graduated drove home with my folks got on my backpack and my dad dropped me off at Harpers Ferry West Virginia and I hiked to Mount Katahdin Uh, took about took a little less than three months nice you just did that solo yeah yeah solo (laughs) just with a backpack (laughs) you're awesome yeah yeah yeah. Uh uh-huh yeah so I okay let's back up the bus just a little bit so what did your parents do for a living I'm so curious where this incredible like insatiable appetite for discipline <laughs> yeah I mean, that you I'm built sure. this really disciplined lifestyle around running but I mean your personality obviously um, has lots of layers to it but where did it what were your parents doing and how did you see this growing up as a way of life my my parents met at SUNY Buffalo um, in upstate New York and um, my dad they both PhDs mm-hmm. um, my dad was a chemist for uh, organic chemist for the National Institutes of Health for NIH um, and my mom was a teacher um, she taught at a couple small colleges um, but landed eventually um, in the public school system of Maryland so okay. that's where she did most of her work um, uh, and then uh, my dad also, after he retired from the government, he taught at NAU, Northern Arizona University in Flagstaff. So, mm-hmm. um, and he was the department chair for chemistry there for a couple of years. Um, 
Yeah. Uh, my dad was a runner. He ran a couple marathons, and he also did a couple of ultras that no one would remember um, or know about because they don't exist anymore. Um, the Dogwood Half Hundred was one that I that sticks out. He also did one on the CNO Canal, but not JFK. But it was another event. Um, did something different, but um, I don't even remember the name of it. So. Mm-hmm. But you uh, witnessed that growing up, and you're like, huh, that looks like something I might Yeah, like. I mean, I, I witnessed that kind of. Uh, he did most of his running and stuff when I was not running. Oh, okay. Um, and it was just something, you know, dad would disappear for a weekend and then he'd come back. Mm-hmm. And that's what he did. Um, I When I got a little older in high school, um, kind of the, the, the backpacking, hiking bug got... I, I caught that. My dad kind of was big into doing that, mountaineering, backpacking, climb, rock climbing, ice climbing. And I kind of fell into that realm. And there was a small group of us, um, including my dad, who did that. They were all adults. I was the youngest by far. Mm-hmm. And, but I would join them on... on, a, on um, adventures. Yeah, adventures. And it was mo- most of the stuff happened in northern, northern Virginia, like... Um, like the Shenandoah Mountains or the, the Blue Ridge and um, George Washington National Forest. But we, we took some adventures out west, some climbing expeditions out west in the Wind River Range or in the Cascades of Washington. And then the big one, the kind of penalt was going to the Brooks Range in northern Alaska, north of the Arctic Circle, and climbing Brooks Range, a couple of mountains there, and then rafting out to the Arctic Ocean on the Hula Hula River to Kaktovik. So who did that and how old were you when you were doing that? That was before I went to college. Okay. So kind I of was, like a rites of passage. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. It was between high school and college. And mm-hmm. yeah, it was basically five of us and we sent it up. We didn't use a guided tour trip or anything like that. We got flown in by a bush pilot to a sandbar in the middle of the Arctic, dropped off. Was this uh, you and your buddies or your dad? Me, my dad, and okay. and his friends. friends. Yeah, okay. her friends. Yeah, we climbed for two weeks, and then the bush pilot came, landed back on that same gravel bar, picked up our mountaineering gear, dropped off the rafts. He also brought some beer, and then <laughs> and then awesome. Uh, and he, yeah, and then mm-hmm. uh, we rafted for two weeks out to the. Oh, to it the took ocean. two weeks to raft back out. Well, we too? we took our time because oh, we oh, wanted camping. to see yeah. and, okay. and and see things and and take our time. Uh-huh. You know, you don't get to get there you don't go to those places too often in your life so we want just to relish it Mm -hmm. when you what way what were you studying in college biology i have a biology degree so you took off after college three weeks hiking solo on the appalachian trail i'd love to hear from you what would be like a highlight of that experience and a low light yeah um the highlight is is definitely the individuals that you meet, like anyone who who hikes on through Hike C, the AT, or spends a lot of time on it, will tell you that it, it definitely has its own trail community. Um, like people live on the trail, and um, you you once you start hiking, you kind of see those people on and off um, periodically, and everyone's hiking the trail for their their own reasons and. Um, yeah, you hook up with them, you hike with them for a few days, then you don't see them, and then you see them again, and um, it's it's interesting to, to meet different people and learn their stories, 
uh, then I think the low light would be uh, this for me it was Connecticut and Massachusetts because mm. it was weather yeah it was like a hundred degrees yeah. and like hundred and ten percent humidity <laughs> and good times yeah and so uh, and it was also uh, the time of the mosquito. Oh, so the mosquitoes were there, the temperature and the humidity were high. And I had sent back my tent as well as my road? stove. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. So I had no stove and no tent. Um, and I was just going. <laughs> that seemed uh, like a reasonable thing to do at the time, I'm sure. But. Yeah, yeah. I was just mm -hmm. going, you know, there's shelters along the way. Mm -hmm. And you can just throw down a mat in a shelter and. Uh, sleep in a shelter and that's what I was doing and it worked really well and I was I saved a lot of weight that way but then uh, but then it was 100 degrees 110 percent humidity and uh, get into a shelter at night and there's no air movement and all I have is this like zero degree sleeping bag <laughs> <laughs> and you've been hiking all day oh, man. and you know you haven't had a shower for four days and <laughs> You crawl into one of those sleeping bags and, you know, the mosquitoes are even at night, you know, they don't stop. And the only way to get away from them is to like fully envelop yourself into a zero degree sleeping bag Bake. in a hundred degrees mm -hmm. and you smell like poop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love it. Yeah. Love it really tests. I like really wanted to stop and just leave. Why didn't you? Because I, I felt uncomfortable hitchhiking. Okay. So, mm -hmm. yeah, there, I had no way out. to, I had no, no cell phones didn't exist. And right. Couldn't call an Uber. And the, <laughs> the whole thing was just, you know, you had to gut it out. I had a pickup. The whole plan was my dad was going to meet me in Maine. And so I had to get there. And right. I was only in Massachusetts. So I had mm -hmm. to keep moving. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, yeah, I wasn't, it would have been complicated had I got to a payphone and called my parents and said, come pick me up. And that wasn't the whole point. It was like, I'm independent now. I'm going to do this and get through this and yeah. suck it up, buttercup. Yep. So. Totally. And when you got off the trail, you went back home? Yeah. I remember I got off the trail. I met my dad in at Mount Katahdin at the base. We camped that last night together and then we hiked up the mountain to the top, you know, because it ends on top of the mountain. Then hiked back down and then... Then we went over to Acadia before, since we were already up there, Acadia National Park, the island off Mount Desert Isle off the off the coast there. And yeah, we spent one or two days there. <clears throat> and I was like, oh, I just decided to go for a run and kind of, the they have carriage paths, really cool mm. hiking trails that are kind of rugged there and took off and went for a run and really enjoyed it. And it's the first time I had run in, three months wow. so yeah and then I came home and now I needed a job I needed to do something mm -hmm. um, so I put in some applications for the National Park Service but those you know it takes a while for all that stuff to happen and so I got a job on private security so I security. drove yeah Eagle security <laughs> drove around in one of these really well-to-do neighborhoods in Potomac Maryland probably some senators houses and stuff gated community drove around in there and that was miserable i had the night shift so oh. it was all nighttime Boring. but yeah it was like probably eight eight to i don't know i, I don't even remember it, it was all night so i had to 
be responsible and drive around in this stupid car and and i it was just like falling apart which i'll swing back to that in a second and i remember they one night they put me with another security guard this guy who's been doing it for a number of years so i was like oh i'll learn the secrets ropes. yeah of of, of of like private security from this guy and um we we did we drove over got into the community he did like one drive around the loop and then he parked the car in a in a dead end and went to sleep oh nice and so i kind of feel so safe i did not yeah it was really awkward because <laughs> i felt like i shouldn't be sleeping but this guy's snoring next to me and we're in a dead end and yeah. i just like well this is kind of dumb and then uh i probably like the next day or two later you know i had to pick up the car from one spot to drive to from the office and then drive to the location and the car like breaks down in the middle of the highway, the beltway, and going over to this place. And I called all their emergency numbers, and no one answered. That's so I'm a like, great that's great. Security, yeah. yeah. So I was company. like, this is even better. This is awesome. And so I called my mom, and this time, can you come pick me up? And she came and picked me up on the beltway, and we just left the car there. Did you, yeah. Is that the day you quit that job? Yeah, I quit that job. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then I did. Uh, I uh, shit my pants. What? Yeah, I went brown. Not because of the job. No, I went to UPS. All right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, isn't that ship your pants? Yeah, ship them. Ship mm -hmm. your pants. Can I ship my pants? You went to UPS. Yep. And I did uh, driver. I was a driver helper during uh, Christmas season for a couple months. Just envisioning some crazy culture shock here, though, because yeah. you come off the Appalachian Trail and you're, I don't know, I would imagine mentally and spiritually in one place, and then all of a sudden you've got these crazy-ass jobs that you're landing after college. <laughs> At what point is the life crisis going to happen here? Yeah, I wasn't too worried about it. No? No. You're just paying the bills. Yeah, well, yeah, that's where Ultra Running came in. So, uh, you know, I got back, and I'm doing these weird jobs, and I wanted to get back into running because it felt good to be running again but really without regimen mm. um you know not without a coach blowing a whistle at me and t screaming at me and do another lap run harder lift your <laughs> knees yeah and having to go run a race every weekend so it was nice to just go out and run on the trails which is where i really like to be anyway and um yeah i was in and out one weekend on a in a outdoor store outfitter store and saw the flyer for the jfk 50 mile which ironically had been mentioned to me while i was hiking the trail because uh -huh. i was covering big miles and they were uh -huh. like Somebody you know i, I did some seat. 30 mile days out okay. there and and some people were like well you should try they have this race that part of it's on the at and it's back where you're from and and i heard them but kind of like whatever put it in the back of my head and then saw it saw it in a you know just pinned up on a cork board mm -hmm. in a store and it's like oh yeah that's that and that's coming up in a couple months so I was like maybe I should do that so I wait had you run an ultra at this point no the farthest I've ever run probably ran further in training but uh, the farthest race I'd ever run before I did JFK was a half marathon okay so I went from half marathon to 50 miles. Sounds reasonable. Yeah, it worked out pretty well. <laughs>
Uh, yeah, and and I, you weren't being coached at this time. So how did you figure that out? Like, I just, I how ran, am I going to train for this thing? I what just, was your concept? Yeah, I, I just was like, I'll run every day. So I ran an hour every day. And then on the weekends, when I wasn't working, I'd go pick a trail loop or something and go run for a couple hours. Okay. Yeah. And when I say that, I, I don't think I ever ran over, over three hours mm -hmm. um, at, at any one time. And um, just kind of pick and choose my way and... I just uh, figured it would be another day on the AT, 50 miles. If I could do 30 miles with a backpack, I felt I could do 50 miles um, in a full day mm -hmm. um, without a backpack and jogging in between. Sound like, you know, yeah. comfortable. It's all relative, yeah. right? Yeah, and you know, that's how I approached it. And um, No pressure? Yeah, I finished 12th. Mm -hmm. You know, at that time, I think it still is the largest 50 miler in North America. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that was finished just under seven hours. And that's when you discovered ultra running. That like, is. This is a thing. That was yeah, and then you know they have you know you go to the packet pickup, um, which was in the gym at that time, and you used to be able to sign up for JFK the morning of the race, <laughs> um, just like a 10k. Oh you nice. You just walk into the gym with check. And no one in their right mind wanted to do it. Right? It's like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was Crazy just, people. It was different. Mm -hmm. back then and um yeah they had ultra running magazines sitting there and you know i picked up a black and white copy and it's like holy cow there's a lot of these races yeah. going on everywhere and they had a calendar in the back you know they had the race calendar is in the back it used to be in the back and they don't do that anymore it's online but um yeah i was like and there's there's a bunch happening next month right you know right around the corner from where i live and so um yeah, one thing led to another, and I started getting into those, and I like those better because I finished higher than, you know, I did better in these longer races than I did in, in college, obviously, so, mm -hmm. yeah. You found your niche. Yeah, I found my niche, or just found a sport that everyone from college wasn't running, <laughs> so. Were they even running anymore, honestly? Uh, well, right? who knows? Maybe. Some people. Yeah. 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 I, I still, um, on Facebook nowadays, I see that some of the guys I ran in college are still running. Oh, and that's they're still awesome. doing okay and uh -huh. better, faster than me. Mm -hmm. Still faster than me. So. Well, yeah. and if they're still finding joy in running is the bottom line, which yeah. is fantastic, right? A absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, UPS, how long did that? Oh, that was just a uh, Christmas season. Okay. And, um, yeah, that was, we had, we ended up, like, Again, I was with a driver who was just like. <laughs> he was sleeping too. No, Who's driving but he this was. Thing? It was Christmas season. It was insanity. You know, the whole he'd show up to pick me up at the pickup, and the back of the UPS is like filled with cardboard boxes, and he's in the back like stomping on them all, <laughs> <laughs> literally. And uh, loving his job. Yeah, uh -huh. and then Employee you know we and so I was the dri uh, driver helper. So he'd hand, we'd pull up. He'd hand me the packages tell me to grab the packages and beep them in and then I'd run down the driveway and throw Cross them. training. Yeah. But, you know, he would just, just leave it. Just go. Ring the doorbell. Go. We got to go. And so what I heard from another UPS driver, because there was another guy who actually helped me get the job that lived two houses down. I wasn't working with him, but he worked out of the same outlet as this other guy that I was running packages for. And he said, you know, I saw him after 
I had already left the job. He said, yeah, you guys had the most claims oh, than any other route Whoops! in, in, the, in that outlet. Yeah, because we throw the packages down and, you know, not always the best neighborhoods. And they go walking. They go walking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 As it happens. Yeah. The cool thing is you were doing all this cross-training. Way, right? Yeah. So at what point did you determine that this was not your um, career path that you had in mind? Uh, well, it, I knew it was never going to be my career <laughs> path. But I had to be patient, right? Because I had That's these right. job applications in for the National Park Service. And then I did get my first call. And um, I was patient. I waited. And I got my first call. And that was at um, Delaware Water Gap. But... I have to back up a little bit. In college, I worked two summers as a student conservation association resource assistant at Shenandoah National Park. Oh, awesome. So I was essentially a volunteer, but I was getting stipend and free housing Nice for two summers. So that really helped me get my foot in the door. On your resume? Yeah, definitely. And so, also knowing that that was even a passion, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it, it kind of rises your application to the top for, mm-hmm. for people looking at that, and especially two summers of doing that. and. Yeah, but I got my real first Park Service job at Delaware Water Gap, which is on the border of Pennsylvania and New Jersey. Mm-hmm. The Appalachian Trail goes right through there. It was an awesome fit. I'd already been there, you know, on my through hike. I knew the Water Gap well enough to know what I was getting into. And I would be what used to be called an interpretive ranger. So I would basically man the visitor center mm-hmm. and wear the big flat hat with the uniform and point people to the bathroom and tell them when we close and and then I also gave an interpretive walk to the waterfall at that the visitor center was Dingman Ferries and it's the second highest waterfall in Pennsylvania yeah and it was cool because I lived in a house literally right behind the visitor center awesome. back in this hollow and and you know once we closed the visitor center it got very quiet it was one way in one way out so the park was yours. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I did that. That was a seasonal job. Did that for five or six months. Got got offered a job at Lake Mead to do resource management work. And Lake Mead is basically Las Vegas. <laughs> so the Hoover Dam backs up the Colorado River, which makes Lake Mead. It's a big national recreation area in southern Nevada. Got a call from Kurt Deucer, a guy who would ultimately kind of direct my park service career for many years and yeah I went drove all the way west and that was basically be the last time I'd be living out east so wow so yeah so a season at Lake Mead uh, doing resource management work with a small crew like fencing closing mines exotic plant control um, wrangling burrows for the <laughs> Bureau of Land Management um, then I got a offer the next summer. That was a winter seasonal job. And then the next summer was uh, Grand Teton National Park Whoa. on a fire crew. Sweet. I was a Sawyer, Sawyer on a fire crew. For, so did a lot of wildland firefighting that summer. Then I returned to Lake Mead. The seasonal job got turned into a term job. So I was there for several more years. And then I... It's, I start jumping around. I, I, I left the Park Service completely to go work for Montrail up in Seattle, Washington. Is that because your running path took you there? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I wanted to try 
different you things. Were you running competitively at the time? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, this whole time I never, never stopped. stopped. Never okay. stopped. Okay. Yeah. And that was about 2000. Mm-hmm. And that put me there in Seattle the same time as, uh, well, Scott Jerk was living there at the time. And um, it was cool. We, we trained together for for a while and I but I only lasted a year at Montreal I wanted to go back to the park service it was kind of calling me and I was kind of throwing jobs in and around and uh, got a permanent position offered to me in in Moab Utah so yeah so that's southeast Utah Canyonlands Arches National Park Natural Bridges and Hovenweep so it was it's called Southeast Utah Group or SEUG and yeah, that was resource management, vegetation manager for those four parks, doing re-veg work, uh, non-native plant control, whatever they needed resource management-wise. I was kind of the, well, I was the, the man, the man for that. And that was three years of that. And then again, Kurt Duzer called from Lake Mead and wanted me to come to come back to Lake Mead to help with a big exotic plant management team that he was running. And so I did that pay raise and back to Boulder City, Nevada, which wasn't a bad spot, and went back there and for a couple more years led the crews in parks. Uh, it was a traveling team, so Southern California, Southern Utah, Arizona, Nevada, any park in that area, you name it. We, I was there from Zion Capitol Reef to Grand Canyon to Petrified Forest to... I can't tell if you just have wanderlust or if this is just the nature of the <laughs> career path that you chose. I, or is it both? Both, maybe. Yeah, um, I mean, you're like a gypsy. Yeah. and I love it. And then I, I don't know, I got itchy again and... How long were you in each of these places, just to kind of put a perspective on this timeline? Well, if you summed up all my time in Boulder City, probably seven or eight years i was three years in moab i was a year in seattle after that stint with the exotic plant management team i needed to move again and then i came to flagstaff and worked for a group a nonprofit called american conservation experience doing vegetation management same kind of thing i was leading crews you know in the tonto national forest grand canyon i was leading trail crews to the bottom of the Grand Canyon and we were, you know, working on the South Kaibab, Bright Angel Trails, mm. making the donkey steps, did that for a winter and and then got itchy again and moved to Ashland, Oregon to help Hal Kerner at Rogue Valley Runners for three years. So I lived in Ashland for three years and worked at his running shoe store and... How much of these decisions were based on your running and your passion for running and how much were actually based on the fact that you loved conservation and you really wanted to be exploring new lands like continuously well i definitely love to see new places and see explore new places and i think the united states has a lot of places uh hidden gems that rival anywhere else in the world and um i'm i'm pretty happy with staying in Within the, within the country, country limits, if you will. I'm, okay. I'm not, I don't have wanderlust. I, I've never itched to go to Europe, even though I think it would be cool. I, I did go to Hong Kong with our trail walker team a number of years ago um, to compete there. 
but other than uh, a trip to Niagara Falls and a trip to was it Cabo and a trip to Tijuana, I, I have not gone. <laughs> I, I have, like I said, I've been to both Hawaii and Alaska, but um, yeah, I don't. I, there's still places in Arizona I need to see. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, and all my decisions, though it seems like I've got wanderlust and I'm going all these places and letting that make my decision, my decision has always been a smart one and I've always had, wherever I've landed, it's always been, there's been some a job waiting for me, so mm -hmm. something, it's a very safe decision. Oh, I see. So mm -hmm. go see these great places, but do it intelligently. There's structure there. Yeah, mm -hmm. structure a, and a job and... Mm -hmm. I'll be comfortable while doing it. That's always important. Well, um, and you were in the same career field. You were just trying a lot of different things at this point, right? Well, two career fields. One is is natural resource management, and the other being coaching mm -hmm. and or running. So, yeah, like thankfully they go hand in hand. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. So, yeah, and and so now um. I came back to Flagstaff after Ashland and worked at McMillan Running for Greg McMillan for eight years. And At what point did you transition into professional running, like you were doing this as a professional following, whether it be coaching or racing or anything sponsored? I, I never consider myself a professional runner. I think a professional runner can do running, and that's, that's all, all they need to do yeah, to, to live. Mm -hmm. And You've never besides a Besides a $100 here, $200 paycheck here for yeah. winning a race, I've never... Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I've never been paid to run. Mm -hmm. I've gotten some stipends, like travel reimbursements and okay. race entries paid for, but in no way have as, as running filled my bank account. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's the rest of your account. Yeah, I mean, it's it's fed me maybe a good uh, dinner here and there, but other than that, yeah, not not my means of support. I've always had a job. Yeah, and the, the coaching, I wouldn't say that that is a professional runner's job. That's, you're a coach, and mm -hmm. that is your job. And, uh, yeah, so eight years with McMillan running, and now we're going on year, wrapping up year number one with Sundog running with my wife and Eric Sensman. So your own running, personal running, mm -hmm. efforts, energy. How much running and racing are you doing right now and how much is really dedicated to coaching others and getting people into this? Right now I am, my focus has changed. I still run. I'm 50 or 60 miles a week and running still takes me to cool places, but I'm just tired. Mm -hmm. And I, part of it could be that I've taken on a lot of responsibilities. Some dog running to be sure, but I also work a second job. I, I've return to the American Conservation Experience and I'm their National Restoration Director. Wow. So ACE, that's American Conservation Experience, just abbreviated. ACE is a, it's a national organization, so we have offices in Asheville, North Carolina, and Corpus Christi, Texas, St. George, Utah, Flagstaff, Arizona, and three offices in California and Lake Tahoe and uh, Santa Cruz and Del Zura, which is San Diego County. What do you actually do? So sometimes I ask myself that question a lot, but my, ma my main existence is to make sure our restoration programs are running smoothly, efficiently, effectively, and legally. And, you know, we do a lot of herbicide work. Yeah. And so we're, we're a nonprofit organization doing 
service projects for 70% of our partners are federal federal lands. So okay. Park Service, Forest Service, Fish and Wildlife Service, Bureau of Land Management, those are our big partners, but we also do work for small nonprofits like Nature Conservancy or Landsward Foundation or or uh, there's 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 many others too. So yeah, so our 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 work is is resource based. We do a lot of trail work as well. We do a lot of forestry work like thinning in Flagstaff. We do a lot of the we're doing a lot of the watershed thinning right now to prevent forest fires. Mm -hmm. But we've got a national trail coordinator, we've got a national forestry coordinator, an outreach coordinator, and we're an AmeriCorps funded the, the, the core members are crew members, our core members are um, they're getting AmeriCorps grants to pay okay. for school and also it helps them with uh, federal applications as well. So. Mm -hmm. And how long have you been doing that? Uh, I returned in last August, okay. so just over a year of doing that. But it's busy, it's a full-time job. You're based out of Flagstaff? Yeah, yeah, that's kind of the national office. Oh, okay. So all the national members are there and that's where ACE started. You know, like I mentioned, I worked there in 2006 and 2007 when it was a much smaller organization and it's grown significantly and they needed more help and that's they asked me to come back and they offered me a good deal and I couldn't turn it down. <laughs> I like to teach too and there's a lot of that going on because these are kids right out of college or still in college and they're they're wanting to to learn about restoration work and working on public land and I have a lot of experience in both of those things. So. Mm -hmm. What in terms of trail running and um, doing this conservation work, how does it affect or how has it changed how you perceive the lands and the trails and just being outdoors? <laughs> well, you can ask Emily. Whenever we do a run, I'm always quote unquote botanizing or commenting yeah. on the landscape for <laughs> yeah. And you can ask anyone who's done a lot of non-native invasive species work that sometimes it can be it can make the landscape more depressing than you think it is mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> sometimes yeah sometimes yeah they say knowledge is power sometimes knowledge is depressing mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. and in every aspect but it further deepens your sense of commitment to the work though because i yeah. mean you're still you're still doing the work absolutely yeah. very passionate about it we pulled into a campground two nights ago and there was yellow star thistle in the ah. in the pull out and there I am pulling <laughs> pulling weeds pulling weeds as Emily's <laughs> setting up setting up the camp uh -huh. um, so. these shouldn't be here we gotta get rid of these yeah. so Ian I'd love to hear from you in terms of your own your running career is outrageous frankly the uh, list of accomplishments is sort of mind-boggling but I'd like to hear from you in terms of your own perception of that and how running has impacted just who you are as a, as a human on the planet and what does it what does it mean to you now as you reflect back on all the cool stuff that you've done and where you've been and where running has specifically taken you uh -huh. well you can ask emily she knows that running kind of drives my day so it's usually the first thing i like to do and it kind of sets a tone for the rest of the day and i've been running for a very long time like I said, since seventh grade, kind of 
and I don't even know what year, mid 80s, mid, early 80s. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So it's been a long time. You don't have to give your age away. It's all right. Yeah, no, I, <laughs> I'm not worried about that. Right. But yeah, it it is. I don't even know. What uh, would you do without it, right? It's just who you are. Yeah, it's who I am. It kind of just it's what I do, and sometimes it's not pretty, but uh, <laughs> it's all good, all the same. And you know, there's there's a lot more of it's not pretty nowadays than you know in years past, but. Yeah, uh, more than 200 ultra marathons I've run. That doesn't include like crazy training runs or rim to rim to rims. So the Grand Canyon, which I've done 10 times and um, and yeah, it doesn't count marathons or anything like that. So yeah, the, the amount of ultras I've done is certainly trailed off, but it's, I'm just not as competitive as I used to be, so it doesn't draw me that way as much. I used to like to go race, mm. and so I did a lot of racing, compete, and, and now now I'm not as competitive or hardly at all anymore. So, but so now races, it, it's got to be more of a. There's got to be another reason for it. It, it could be on my to-do list, which I have, and or a cool destination or event that I've just wanted to do because of its history or or where it takes the runners you know those are still reasons to do events and um why i like to do them and yeah and the motivation to start coaching others was that i was always asked what to do okay people doing their first or their 10th or their 20th ultra would ask how did I approach this race or how did I approach the training for an event like this and I I gave a you know I shared a lot of knowledge that way and seemed to be successful for those people and you know so why not try to put this knack to work for me and and when I was offered the opportunity to coach for Greg McMillan which was simply just asking him if he needed help he needed an ultra runner and at that time and the ultra running was there weren't many ultra running coaches and so the the space was available to do that and I thought with with my background and with with McMillan running's philosophy I could kind of merge the two to the science and the experience and put it together to to help folks big things mm-hmm. what do your athletes teach you as a coach what do you receive from your athletes well they're and I, I don't I hope they don't take it the wrong way but everyone's an experiment mm-hmm. and um, you know I don't know you know when someone wants coaching I don't know anything about them yeah. when they come to the table and so it's it's an experiment to see one if if my philosophy and helps them achieve what they want while at the same time you know it it takes time and I usually tell them it's you know things aren't going to happen in in a training cycle it takes a couple years to to get to know each other and and you know my philosophy doesn't jive with everyone else and I've certainly lost many 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 athletes because I do things a different way and and they're looking for something else and it's just something that I'm not going to be able to provide them so 
Yeah. I, you know, I, I look at, at running as a sustainable way to supplement your life and an enjoyable way to supplement your life. I don't think that running should be your priority. And if you're living that way, then my philosophy is definitely not gonna work for you. So I would love to know um, how Stagecoach, the race that you and Emily race direct and operate, how did that come about? Yeah, so Stagecoach was actually not our idea. We were approached by Flagstaff locals with the idea to run an event from Flagstaff to the Grand Canyon. That was that was basically the only idea. <laughs> so, I want to run it. Yeah. So it, there is a big swath of, of northern Arizona between Flagstaff and the Grand Canyon that is private land, Babbitt Ranches. And so in order to cross over to get from Flagstaff to the Grand Canyon, you, you've got to be in their good graces. And mm. luckily, one of these one of these folks they they were on board with this and so um it's it's a unique event because it follows an historic stagecoach route it it's a point-to-point -point event that does take you basically to the doors of the grand canyon we don't take you into the canyon we don't take you to the rim we can't do that there's a national park there but we get you pretty darn close finish at the imax theater in, in tucson and the Arizona Trail Association obviously is on board because the Arizona Trail follows that historic path as well. And they are a huge supporter of the event. Basically, all proceeds go to them and they distribute it as they see fit afterwards, but they pay us well after the event. But I don't really have any control over the finances. Though I am the race director, let me do whatever I want. I get to allocate resources yeah. Fish. yeah yeah mm -hmm. yeah they don't tell me what to do mm -hmm. some i think i tell them what to do but <laughs> but it, it's does it um, feel funny being on the other side uh, after all those years of racing being the race director no i i it feels very comfortable i like doing it i like giving back to the sport i like you know i know what it was like i know what it's like to finish an event and it's cool to be the recipient of that when folks cross the line i think that's awesome and then tr and then Putting an event like that together, a point-to-point hundred, is logistically challenging. I think I'm good at that, orchestrating that kind of work. But it, it's um, it, it's a lot of cultivating your volunteers and Chips. yeah, relationship building, and you know, trying to make them feel well, not trying to, but making them feel important. And you know, I try to compensate them in whatever way I can, you know, I free entry to the race, any distance, any time, you know, or, you know, give them a t-shirt, if we have any extra swag, you know, whatever, whatever we can do to, to help facilitate their help that year and then the following year, because once you get people coming back again and again and again doing the Isn't same thing. Doesn't it just blow your brain? I know, yeah. still to this day, it just blows my brain. Well, they make it better, but so then awesome. you don't have to, you, you don't have to reteach anyone 
yeah. thing. And when people just say, I'm going to do the same thing I did last year, I enjoyed it. It's like, you oh, don't have yeah. to worry about it. And um, <laughs> that's huge. And it changes the vibe of the event because you like you've created a, a family there. You have yeah. a community. It's completely yeah. different. A absolutely. Mm -hmm. And Flagstaff comes out in full force for our event. And I really appreciate that. And we have a lot of people volunteer for the race. And then we have a lot of people who run from Flagstaff, who run the race. What's the date of the race? It's September 22nd. Mm -hmm. It's my birthday this year. Yo! Yeah. Sweet. So, okay. yeah, September 22nd, Flagstaff, Arizona. We only have 42 spots available now. What? Yeah. We, yeah, we capped the race this year at 250. Uh -huh. So it's trickling down. It's filling fast. Okay. You know, and we have a 55K. We have a 100-mile. And we also have 55k relays and 100 mile relays. Oh, Basically, seven mile distances all the way to 100 mile distances. Dang. You can, if you. That's awesome. If you can get some friends together. So you, basically, yeah. yeah, that's what we're talking about. Yeah. Crazy, bring all your lunatic, yeah. lunatic uh, trail running yeah. friends out and yep. camping. Yeah, yeah, camping. You know, okay. it's all forest land and yep. uh, the roads are all, most of the access points are dirt. So you, you know, there's some dirt driving and there's some, you've got to have some good directions. Google Maps doesn't work well out there. And, we, you know, we have I a good... Love places that Google Maps doesn't go. <laughs> yeah. It's not a problem. We have a good, we have a good manual and there's actually a lot of people out there on race day. It's hard to get lost. You, you'll, if you end up going the wrong way, someone will turn you around and go the right way. So, uh -huh. yeah, it's, you know, Coconino National Forest, Babbitt Ranches, and Kaibab National Forest. So you get to cross two national forests and a big swath of private ranch land, and it's pretty cool. I might actually be in shape by next September if I actually get off my ass here. <laughs> <laughs> it's been on my list for a while, so I want to do it. Well, I want to thank you so much for your time. This was fantastic. Well, it's thanks. Great to thanks, Samantha. Spend some yep. time with you here in San Luis Obispo. Yep. Looking to have you over the next couple of days, and hopefully, I'll be seeing you soon. Yes. All thanks right. a lot. You take care. Bye. Bye. A huge thank you to both Ian and Emily for carving out so much time to sit down with us during their busy Slow Ultra weekend. And thank you for joining us on this adventure to Endurance Town USA, where we get to chat with regular people living an endurance lifestyle. Thanks again to our partners over at Race Slow. And don't forget to check out the Slow Ultra games this October, slultra.com, so we're going to find the information for that. And if you haven't yet, hit the subscribe button on your device now to hit more great stuff as it lands. Also, don't forget to follow us online at endurancetownusa.com. Com, where you can check us out on Instagram at Endurance Town USA for behind the scenes photos, videos, and more. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time we go on this journey to Endurance Town USA.